0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings MBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us. We're recording this A little earlier than we usually are, right? We usually, we're doing this on a Sunday night, getting you prepped for Monday morning, recording this a little bit earlier than usual on a massive trade deadline Thursday, (laughs) February 9th. Steven, I, I can't believe what transpired over the last 24 hours. I went to bed like. Most people probably did yeah. on the East Like Coast. a
0: regular human being, yes. Right,
1: like a regular working, I got to be up at 7 a.m. To, <laughs> to get to work, human being. And lo and behold, Kevin Durant was traded to the Phoenix Suns. Oh
0: my god! A few days after
1: the Kyrie Irving bombshell trade request that landed him on the Dallas Mavericks. And we saw a number of other deals go through, obviously, at the deadline. It was really the Mavericks, the Suns, the Lakers made a number of moves to make them better. But really, really fascinating NBA trade deadline. And and no, we're, we're not doing this entire podcast on the NBA trade deadline. That's not necessarily what we do here. And no ceilings, we want to stay draft oriented. And that's certainly what we'll be doing on this episode. But before we dive into the fun exercise that we have planned for this show, Stephen, I just wanted to get your general thoughts. Is there is there anything that stood out to you in regards to the action that happened at the trade deadline? Maybe it's just, you know, big picture, like you're looking at this move for this contender and it really stands out to you as what's going to happen in the short term. Maybe there's draft centered ramifications that you might be thinking about with all the picks that got swapped over the last 24, 48 hours. Where are you kind of at from the trade deadline? What's your big takeaway?
0: It's just crazy, man, because like now there are teams that do have draft assets and draft capital for this upcoming draft that now we get to shift gears and start thinking about like who would be beneficial on this team, right? Like Brooklyn, just got a, a whole slew of picks now. And now we get to start thinking about what could they use on this team? The answer is, ev- is everything now, right? But um, their pick doesn't suggest that they might be able to go and get something. So what do they do? Right. Um, It's just funny to me, man, that the whole buildup for the trade deadline was like, all right, somebody do something. Everybody was like, I don't expect much to happen this trade deadline. You, you got, such divergence and takes on how much activity was or was not going to happen. Then Kyrie Irving gets traded, and then it's like, boo, we hate this. Kyrie Irving is like the worst human being in the world, even though we want trade activity. And now he gets traded for reasons that are undisclosed. You know, I think that recent history suggests that it's probably Kyrie's fault, according to the consensus, but he gets traded. And then it was just like he was the – that was the crack in the dam that just like caused the whole thing to blow open. Uh-huh. Like this whole day was just every time I looked at my phone, I had like 68, 75, whatever messages from the group chat, sharing a trade and being like, can you believe that this trade happened? And like Josh Hart and then, you know, Jalen Daniels and, and Terry Rozier. And now there's buyouts and it, one thing leads into the other in the NBA, man. So, you know, the, the trade season opens up buyout season. And then we get to look at, teams that didn't have trade assets who they pick up hard in the free in the in free agency it's just basketball's fun man that's my overall takeaway basketball is fun even though it's crazy
1: basketball is a joy i mean today even though i'm still obviously working my day job throughout the course of the day as were you it was really fun to get all the updates to be able to watch all the trade deadline shows and just follow all the action from start to finish i think my biggest takeaway steven it does relate to the, the draft capital, right? So there were, I don't know the final number, but at one point, I think leading up to within an hour within the deadline shift, there were roughly 36 second round picks that traded yes. hands. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about everyone out there in the audience. I don't have specific numbers in front of me from prior years, but that seems like an ass load of draft picks, second round yes. picks, let alone to be trading hands within a twenty-four to forty-eight hour period. And I think it brings up a few things that are important of note, right? So we can we can look at this through the the Phoenix Suns, the the biggest lens at the mm-hmm. trade deadline. And we can look at them getting Kevin Durant and we can look at, well, the cost of getting Kevin Durant was Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, four unprotected first round picks and everything else that was a part of the deal, right? But to even be in position for the Suns to get Kevin Durant, they had to draft Devin Booker. They had to draft DeAndre Aiden. They -hmm. had to position themselves to actually bring in a veteran like Chris Paul and have an attractive destination to be able to bring him in. They had to trade for Mikael Bridges on draft night. They had to draft Cam Johnson, despite Mm -hmm. all of the scrutiny at the time to take him in the lottery. That did prove to be while they could have went a few other directions that did prove to technically be a correct hunch to make on draft night, all to just set up the perfect situation to be attractive to Kevin Durant. Like, Hey, I'm going to point you out of any other team I could go to across the NBA landscape. I'm looking at this situation. I want to be here because I think I could win a title, not only this year, but in multiple years to follow, because I'm on a long-term contract. I signed on the dotted line. Unless I'm traded again, mm-hmm. I'm not in the power as an unrestricted free agent to leave this destination and go somewhere else. I'm signing up to go here because I want to be here. So you have to lay out the foundation, but then you also have to have the assets available to go get that player. But it's not just having the picks, right? It, it's yep. having the picks plus having the situation because you could be in a position like the Los Angeles Lakers where they had two first round picks to mess with in 2027 and 2029. They moved one of those to bring in a lot of the players that they did some other second round assets, but they weren't armed with four or five first round picks to go get another star to bring in alongside LeBron James and Anthony Mm -hmm. Davis, right? The Phoenix Suns were patient to an extent with their draft capital, but they also didn't have to go out. And overspend on other players to make the situation more attractive because they nailed their draft picks from the start. So, and they were able to get
0: too for like a player like Jay Crowder, who didn't play all season long. They were even able to continue to bring in, you know, draft assets for, for down the line. You know, Crowder got traded for what, like five second round picks, I wanna say?
1: Yeah, so Crowder got traded. The Brooklyn Nets ended up getting five second round picks from the wall. Bucks And and the warriors in a separate transaction were able to pick up five second round picks, right. And they're three team deals. So the, the number of picks trading hands, you have to have the draft assets. You can't overspend in the wrong areas to position yourself out of some of these races, but you also have to utilize the assets that you have while you're building a team in the meantime to position yourself to say, Hey, even if we give up, this amount of pieces and this amount of picks, we still have this foundation to where if we add this star player or the second star player, we're going to be in a position to actually contend in our respective conference, get to the NBA finals and possibly win it. So I say all of that, just reflecting on the trade deadline to say it is really damn difficult to build a team in the Mm -hmm. NBA, especially when you want to do it the right way. But when it is done the right way, I mean, the Phoenix Suns, they, they are they are set, as long as they're healthy, right? Health, health is really the only question. I, I think the chemistry is going to be there. Those guys like each other. I think enough of the defense is going to be there, right? That that comes with time, that comes with chemistry, that comes with- And people are going to want
0: to go there now.
1: And people are going to want to go there now, right? They, they are certainly a candidate in, in the buyout market, depending mm-hmm. on what kind of roster spots they, they have available or can make available. Phoenix is positioned to win the championship this year and win it in next year. And maybe even the year after that, even, even if something happens with Chris Paul, right. That that space that can be freed up to be utilized in other areas. And then you still have a trio of Booker and Kevin Durant and Deandre Aiden, or maybe even you move Deandre Aiden and you pick up more assets for him that you can use in a trade to land someone else who wants to play with, with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. The point is that when you do it the right way, you can certainly be in position to contend for a long time. And when you don't have those same assets like the Los Angeles Lakers, boy, do you have to get really, really, really creative to add talent on the margins, which doesn't even guarantee you getting yourself deeper into the playoffs. right? I think we, you and I can sit here and agree the Lakers are probably a playoff team as it stands, or we can they got better, be yeah. in the playoffs. They got better. They added real NBA talent, but yeah. these are pieces that are more on the margins rather than adding a quote-unquote difference Baker. So yeah. whether you're a team that's standing pat and watching all the action, whether you're in the middle of it like Phoenix, whether you're in the middle of it in a different way like the Lakers, I think that's really the biggest takeaway for all NBA teams is the cost of doing business for getting good players has certainly gone up. Right, some teams didn't want to overpay today for like an OG Ananobi. Some teams just stood pat and said, "No, we're not going to pay you three or four first round picks for OG Ananobi." we can hold on to that ammunition and really be able to spend that on somebody like a Kevin Durant, for example. And I think that's really the last thing is seeing the Kevin Durant trade take place and seeing those Toronto guys stand pat. It is huge because I think it reset the market back to where it kind of should be a little bit after the whole Rudy Gobert debacle (laughs) for for, for lack of better words. Sorry, Metcalf over the prior summer. I think the market got reshifted a little bit now now we're in a world where we can look back on this trade deadline and say this was significant for a number of ways, but really to me the biggest thing is laying out the blueprint for how to properly build a championship contender in the NBA. Yep, it, that, that's my it,
0: takes, it, it takes the draft and free agency. Like Everyone thinks that Good. it's all one way or the other. It's a healthy blend of both. But from what we've seen from how teams recently have succeeded, you have to invest in both. I mean, the Golden State Warriors, their whole dynasty was based on the fact that they nailed the draft and then brought in some tremendous free agents, right? Like they didn't do it all one way.
1: And there's a number of teams that are doing that right now. The Oklahoma City Thunder, the the Detroit Pistons are still acquiring young talent. The Memphis Grizzlies are in the midst of taking that next lead. New Orleans
0: Pelicans. The the
1: Pelicans. Yeah, right. There's a number of teams across the league who are trying to follow that same blueprint, very similar to what the Golden State Warriors did. Their teams aren't constructed the same. But in terms of what that blueprint, Sacramento, right? They, They... they made some mistakes, but they owned those mm-hmm. mistakes. They still went into the draft and, and selected players who could meet their needs. And then through, through patience, through reconciliation of their prior mistakes, they put themselves in position to go out and get a DeMondis bonus, right? So they drafted yep. young talent. They drafted De'Aaron Fox. They yep. drafted Davion Mitchell, Keegan Murray. They were able to make trades because they had those foundational pieces in place. They were able to bring in the likes of a Harrison Barnes. Now, this, this previous summer, we, we saw them bring in Kevin Herter. That could let them trade for somebody like a Damanis and now yep. they have a great mix of veteran leadership, young enough talent, and they still have assets to be able to play with to where hell, if they wanted to get involved in, in a major sweepstakes at this deadline, they they probably could have. I'm actually kind of glad that they stood pat a little yep. bit. I think they've they've made enough moves for a little while. Let's see how this team plays out, but yeah, there, there are plenty of examples. Shout out to Boston right too. Now.
0: That's the last one I'll throw out. Shout out to Boston.
1: Shout, shout, shout out to the Boston Celtics as well for, for having a team that was certainly built up the right way and now they look poised to still be a big threat yep. in the Eastern Conference. So we will see how the NBA shakes out. But that, that's enough about the trade deadline. That's Again, that's not what we do here <laughs> on Draft Deeper all the time. We, we like to focus on the upcoming 2023 NBA draft and that's exactly what we're going to do today. We have a fun little exercise that, I'm not creative enough to, to absolutely <laughs> title this podcast or this exercise. Steven just wanted to call it a mock-off, a 2023 yeah. NBA draft mock-off, and that's that's what we're going to do here. So what what we're going to do, and this is something – I haven't done this really on Draft Deeper before. I'm still trying to do new things or borrow some great ideas that some other no-ceilings cohorts have used in the past. Yep. Steven and I are going to flip a coin – for the top overall pick in our little mock draft exercise, and then we're going to actually draft not just based on our boards. This isn't just uh we're gonna run through a board one through ten or one through twelve because we are gonna pick a six man, we're gonna try to actually draft legitimate teams from prospects. So if these prospects were pitted against each other today on an NBA floor, who built the better team between us with five starters and a sixth man? So we will alternate picks. We'll go back and forth. I have a feeling we're going to dip our toes past the top ten of our boards to to try and build good <laughs> probably competitive teams. That's what we end up doing here on Draft Deeper the majority of the time. We'll we'll have a top 30 mock draft exercise and you'll see Steven go with uh, Keyshawn Gilbert, who's all the way 57 <laughs> on our composite draft board. So you, you you know the drill, you know what to expect from us here at Draft Deeper. So Steven, are you you excited to see if you can draft a better team than than me?
0: Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, nothing like friendly competition, Nathan. I'm down.
1: Friendly competition. I love it. So I'm going to I'm gonna flip this coin. I got a nice little coin flipper queued up here on Google since I don't have an actual tangible coin in front of me. Steven, you, you're calling it heads or tails?
0: I'm a tails man. Let's go.
1: So tails never fails. Let's see what he's got. You did, in fact, get tails. Congratulations. Hey, Do let's you go. Have, Steven Gillespie has the first overall pick in our exercise here so i'm going to assume i know where you're going with Mm. your first pick but in in case the audience might not be aware of probably the biggest name to look out for the 2023 nba draft landscape who is your number one overall pick
0: (sighs) i'm just gonna go with my heart man like i know this isn't oh no
1: oh steven steven
0: i'm gonna go with my heart We're just just here to have fun, man.
1: We are here to have have fun. fun.
0: I'm going to go with Scoot Henderson. I'm not saying he's number one on my board.
1: Oh, boy. But if you look
0: positionally, I mean, there are fewer top-level guards in this class than there are kind of forward or big men. So...
1: That is an important part to this exercise. We're trying to build out a team, and if you're trying Mm -hmm. to do so, this is a draft where there are many wings and forwards at play, but the depth at center and the depth at guard isn't quite the same, especially when we factor in what's necessary to captain a team in an exercise like this. So you're going Scoot Henderson over over somebody who I will definitely take. I got to get
0: the straw to start to drink, baby. I got to get the straw.
1: So why is Scoot Henderson the best straw to stir the drink in the 2023 NBA draft class?
0: Well, I'd, for one, I don't think that he and Victor are worlds apart. I do have Victor number one on my board for everyone that's, you know, coming at me with you know pitch pitchforks and torches and all that stuff. I have Victor number one, but I don't think they're that far separated. First off, our other co-host who's not here with us today, Maxwell Baumbach, wrote a phenomenal piece comparing him to Derrick Rose. Phenomenal. And coming away thinking that Derrick Rose was taken number one in his draft, and Scoot has a lot of significant advantages comparatively to where they both were within their, you know, probably draft year. Scoot Henderson is a phenomenal guard prospect, like probably one of the best guard prospects that we've seen in I don't know how long, you know, like probably dating back to maybe Isaiah Thomas, right? Who who is an unsung guard, so to speak. But I love Scoot. I think that he's more than just like an athletic freak of nature, although that he is that also, and very strong, he's very smart, processes the game well, um, runs runs an offense, like really leads a team. And that's what I'm looking for in this exercise if we're going against each other. These two did go against each other earlier in the year, and do you remember who won when they both played their full game?
1: Scoot, you could make an argument that up until probably like the five-minute mark in, in the final quarter that Scoot Henderson was certainly more impressive than I think a lot of people would have cared to admit. Right before the game started, all as were on Victor, but Scoot was the guy who really stood out for G League Ignite.
0: And he wanted, he wanted, he wanted to win that matchup. You can tell by his play on the court. Like I think that was the most aggressive that we've seen Scoot, and that's saying a lot because he's just an aggressive guard by nature, but very <laughs> smart, processes the game well. You and I both agree that we like the comparisons to players like. Chris Paul, as opposed to like the Russell Westbrooks, John Wall that we've been seeing because he's so super smart. Like it feels like the athleticism is almost a knock against him in a crazy way, but he is so smart. So cerebral, heck of a defender. I, I, I love Scoot Henderson.
1: No, I, I see where you're going with making the pick. I would have disagreed with you on making it because I am going to take Victor Wembanyama with my first pick. And really when we talk about building a team, what can't Victor Webanyama either do on the basketball court or really cover up for, especially when we factor in the defensive end, right? This yeah. is a guy who in international league play, he's in the 85th percentile on offense per synergy and the 68th percentile on defense. But you can look at the block numbers. You can look at the steals numbers. You can look at the amount of things that he's able to do offensively on the floor, the the areas on the court which, in which he can score the basketball from right? All the different actions and ways you can get him involved. He can be a role man. He can pop out beyond the arc. He can be a, a, a post up guy who that that's part of his game. That's still getting better, but he can certainly be a factor on the block. There are just so many. Di- oh, oh, by the way, he can create his own shot in isolation right? it's out on the 88th percentile yeah. in, in isolation, right? This is a guy who at seven foot four can quite literally be the focal point of your offense and your defense, the, the definition that I've used in the past, the definition that I, I love for Victor is he is the best possession starter and possession finisher in this draft class, bar none, probably the best possession starter and possession finisher that I've ever evaluated in, in the context of the draft period. I've been trying my hand at this since 2011. Victor is truly what I would call a generational prospect. He is on that level with Luka Doncic and with LeBron James, give me Victor Wembanyama to captain my team as yeah. Scoot Henderson is captaining captaining your team. So just like in that preseason exhibition, these guys are going head to head. We knew really? it was coming, but now as they say in the draft community, this is where it really starts, right? So Steven, well, you're real back quick, on the
0: Can I for Victor, he just looks and plays like seven foot four Jason Tatum to me. Like he's an you, alien yes he, he he's an alien like as scary as jason tatum is imagine him another half foot taller like he
1: has an actual handle at seven yes. foot four right it's not mm-hmm. that he's going to be whipping out combination moves like scoot henderson he's he's over a foot taller than him but yeah for someone his size he has a legitimate handle who can break down guys from the perimeter as well as obviously get his fair share of buckets on the inside, whether that's garbage offensive rebounds, whether that's lob opportunities, whether that's in the post. There's just very little that Victor can't do. And despite all of the ways in which we could nitpick his game, he's not a high-level passer yet. He still has a few lapses defensively where we'd like him to be more dominant given what we have seen him do. Again, these are incredibly nitpicky things to really throw oh, yeah. out there about a generational prospect. So, yeah, I'm going to take Victor Webanyama. So, Steven, you're on the clock. You have the third overall pick in this draft. Where, where are you going? Because now you, you selected a guard. You selected yep. the captain of your offense. You can go a number of different directions with your next pick.
0: So I'm going to pick someone who I won't say is equally as high of a floor processor on both ends of the floor as Scoot. But if he's beneath him, he's not beneath him by much. Um, the depth of people who can probably play the five isn't that high, so I'm gonna go with someone who I think can give me spot, give me minutes as a as a spot five, and can scale up and down the roster. Oh, I'm gonna boy. go Jerris Walker. I'm gonna go oh, Jerris Walker with Scoot Henderson. We're gonna keep the highly competitive, highly physical. High intensity, high processing, all the great things that both of these two can do on both ends of the floor. Um, it could you Nathan just like it's you, probably you music your ears
1: to be able to think about the the pick and roll pick and pop combination. Yes, do the DA the Barry?
0: DHO sets too. Yep. I mean, my goodness, like Jerry's being able to keep the ball or or give it to Scoot and roll, or or pop out. He's shooting the ball too, Nathan. Like it's not on particularly high volume, but he's showing the capability that he can space the floor reliably. So both of those guys playing together on, on a floor together it's just the possibilities are endless. So
1: Jairus Walker, scoot Henderson. I, I, I love that combination, man. And I, I think you did the right thing by taking him third overall in our draft, because listen for, for a number of people and no ceilings, I think myself included, we're, we're going to do another edition of our big boards very soon. We'll be coming out yeah. with a new composite big board and no ceilings. He has kind of jumped up to number three for me as that next best prospect after Victor and Scoot. I got to saw him in person with Corey Tulliba, fellow no ceilings Corey Tulliba at Temple. And yeah, his combination of size, speed, strength, shooting ability at the forward spot right? when And you're talking about putting these guys on an NBA floor, the spacing that you can have if you're able to play Jarris as that small ball five, right? Now mm-hmm. you're really giving Scoot Henderson, one of the most explosive guards we have in this draft, all the room to pick, probe, operate, kick the ball out, find shooters, do whatever needs to be done within the flow of the offense to really accentuate and make everyone else around him better because he becomes that much more of a threat himself. So I like that you pick somebody who very well compliments yep. your captain or, or your star of your team. So you've put me in an interesting position. So now you can go I, a lot
0: of different ways too, man.
1: I, I see, can go I a number of different ways, but I, I went size. So now I need to go find somebody who can handle the ball a little bit, who in the right situation can make some plays for others. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, this is tough. This is tough. You know what? It's It's not as easy
0: as going one through 10, like you said, Nathan. Like, you're thinking about building a legitimate team and and taking Wimby and then, you know, having to wait until the next pick. It's – you get in a weird spot to where do you continue to go length with shooting? Do you scale down your board a little bit for a guy who you think possibly could lead a team as a guard? Like, it's tough.
1: No, that, that's exactly that's exactly the argument, Steven. So I am going to go length with shooting. I, I'm going to go Brandon Miller. I'm going to keep okay. it a, a little bit on the safe side here. I know I, I could have taken one of the Thompson twins with one of these picks. Who I, I'm sure at, at some point one or both of them will get drafted in this exercise. But to me, I need that prime catch and shoot target for when we do dump the ball down low to Victor or when Victor catches the ball in the short roll. Where's the next guy going to be? Where is he going to go with that next pass? And is the guy who he's passing the ball to a trusted knockdown shooter to where we're not leaving empty possessions when we're getting our shot up the court, right? Are we walking away with points and having a guy like Brandon Miller, who is one of the better catch and shoot players in this class? I am trusting more and more by, by the game. Really, I mean, I, I've seen you tweet about it, Stephen. One of his biggest criticisms was the two-point finishing, the interior yep. finishing. He's getting better at being able to take somebody off the dribble or attack a mm-hmm. closeout, get to the get to the basket, and then ultimately finish that play with a deuce. I, I, I am really liking what he's showing us on that side of the ball from a a more complete offensive perspective, and then defensively, he has room to grow. But there were flashes on the high school film that we were able to watch preseason where we were sitting pretty comfortable about where Brandon Miller could be as a defender. He played more of the five man for his high school team. So he has some rim protecting instincts, some rim deterrence instincts. And then obviously at, at, with his length, at his size, with his length, he is able to play passing lanes and make plays defensively on the perimeter. So I will take Brandon Miller with my second pick, Stephen, I don't know, man. It, uh, unless Victor Wem and Yama truly is the, the generational prospect that that I think he is who can carry my team, you might have me right, right now with this two-man combination. I'm curious where you go with number three.
0: So obviously at this point, I got I got my organizer. I got my just overall X factor. He's like Goldberg's character in, in The Longest Yard, right? You just <laughs> sent him out there to re- wreak havoc. I need I need a little bit more skill on the wing now, right? Oh someone boy. who can someone who can match Mount Miller, who I've effectively I've dubbed that title to Brandon Miller just because he's a volcano, he's a flamethrower. I'm calling him Mount Miller. I'm going to go with someone who's got some size on the wing, someone who can get it cooking in a <laughs> in a hurry and doesn't really rebound that well positionally, which is okay. And because of the defenders that I have right now, I can, I can let him grow as a defender as he matures. Give me Jet Howard with Scoot (laughs) Henderson and Jairus Walker, keeping the length on the perimeter, keeping the size. I just have a nuclear cooker now to kind of offset what potentially Brandon Miller can do to my team. Although ridiculously more high on Brandon Miller, I will say than Jet Howard, but Jet has crept up my board. He is now inside my top 10. That has not happened up until very, very recently. I'm really starting to like what I've been seeing from him.
1: So isn't the reason why you're making the pick with Jet Howard a a very reasonable proposition for any NBA team selecting inside the top 10 on draft night, right? Like like when we get down to it, he is one of the safer, and then Rucker and I talked in our last pod. We need, we need to find a better word that's safe. We need to abolish that word. We need to workshop something and no ceilings over the coming months. But he is one of the better bets as far he's as- He's a ready,
0: he, he's ready-made.
1: <laughs> he he is a ready-made shooter, a ready-made catch-and-shoot spot-up guy. He is the flamethrower, as I've dubbed him multiple times now on social media. Really, what can this guy, what can't this guy do- when it comes to shooting both on the ball, creating his own shot in space, playing a little bit of pick and roll, finding yeah. guys, right, initiating some offense, being a secondary creator, and then off the ball from a movement shooting perspective, you can have him coming off other actions. Again, you can get him going downhill off at DHO. He can get the ball to, to the roller. He can kick it out to the corner. He can find somebody else diving in space. Chet Howard is one of the more complete offensive wings that we have in this class. And it's why, you know, we, we have guys in those ceilings who have as, as high as a top five grade on them. And, and I Shout have them in like Albert, that, yeah. that seven to 10 range. But yeah, I, I absolutely love what I've seen from Jit Howard. I can't fault you for choosing a guy like that.
0: Who you again, got, Nathan? I, got, I feel like I got you in a corner, man. Who you got?
1: Well, I need to match you now, shot maker for shot maker. So I, I also need to take somebody. Maybe I'm not going with a guy who's going to stir the drink for, for my team quite yet but I am going to go with one of the most prolific bucket getters that we have in this class. I'm going to go Bryce Sensabaugh with, with okay. my pick. So I'm going to match you shot for shot. Again, this this comes back to a prior exercise I did on the draft deeper feed when I had Corey and, and Albert and, and shout out to Pierre Pee-Wee the plug, joined me for the best. a top 25 under 25 draft. And everyone gave me criticism for going too <laughs> far in on offense and not considering enough defense. And yes, Bryce Sensabaugh has his warts defensively, but in building out this team, right, I have a primary anchor on both sides of the ball. I have a guy in Brandon Miller who if you're kicking him the ball in a catch and shoot opportunity, you're confident that his 40 plus percent three point stroke, it's going to go in, or you trust him attacking closeouts. Bryce Sensabaugh, it's the same thing. He is arguably the best shooter in this draft class, I don't think too many people are bringing that up enough. I think the 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 obvious answer to many would be Grady Dick, but I think Bryce Senseba absolutely has an argument, right? I, he, he has proven the catch-and-shoot game. He's been able to create his own shot in the mid-range from behind the three-point line. And I do think, despite him not taking enough of those attempts on this season for Ohio State, the movement shots he's got, right, the shots that we can grade off-screen per synergy, he has knocked down more of those shots than he has missed them. So I do think there's some movement shooting potential to him as well. And then you factor in the on-ball equity, the improvements he can make as a playmaker for others. He rebounds really well for his position. He's tough. He's built well physically. I'm going to take Bryce Sensaba as my other captain on the wing. So, Stephen, you're back on the clock. Yeah. I, I feel really great about where your team's headed. I, I, I'm a little scared for, for my team, but... <laughs> Where where are you going with your fourth pick in the exercise,
0: Nathan? Again, I just want to reemphasize something that you put out. Where who I'm taking, it's not in a pecking order of who on who is where on my board. Like right. I don't have, I don't have guys in the order on my board that I'm taking right now. And if I'm draf- and if I'm drafting to win a win a game, and I have Scoot Henderson, I have Jarris Walker, I have Jet Howard. Give me Colby Jones on my, oh. on, on my squad. Give me oh, someone man. who give me someone who is a reliable, ready-made shooter, a reliable, ready-made defender who can do a bunch of things away from all of the action and can contribute to winning in the most subtle but beautiful ways. I I have Colby Jones 21st on my board for those who are kind of curious, and that's right now. I still have some tweaking to do for our upcoming projects, but Colby Jones is a legit first round prospect. And again, if I'm drafting it, if I'm drafting to win a game in a matchup, there might not be more, you know, kind of like ironclad warriors in this draft class remaining than Colby Jones. Like he he's ready to go to war, and and that's who I want on my team.
1: Colby Jones is a winning player, right? At at the end of the day, that's really what we're looking for. We're we're talking about adding winning players in this exercise to better fortify a team where if you're facing my team one-on-one, you need those connective tissue pieces. And there are few players in this class who are better at doing just that than a man who can get you a bucket when you need it he can get downhill i think a little easier than people want to give him credit for in this class he has been much improved this season as a spot-up shooter yes we know what he can do from a passing standpoint and then defensively he makes some mistakes he makes some gambles and and the turnover is a little bit of an issue as well but he's again another guy who's built really well physically at his size he can rebound well for his position and i think his toughness and how he sees the floor offensively will translate as he gets older in the nba and will factor into him being able to play a team defensive role and really play more of a help role defensively on the perimeter right i I think he's going to be able to to guard a number of positions on the perimeter and then be able to help even down low a little bit right maybe there's some force right maybe he gets in a small ball line and maybe steven wants to play a little bit different of a lineup and a pinch. And, and this is kind of what he's building towards. Colby Jones is his de facto foreman right in this exercise because Jed Howard's more of a guard or or yeah. a guard slash wing than a forward. So that's kind of the identity or that Steve into.
0: Maybe I have something else coming with my next pick to help create that lineup flexibility. But Colby Jones, man, in, in all honesty, like he gives me Josh Hart level vibes. And we just and we that's just witnessed. Comp. We just witnessed how much teams value a Josh Hart, even when he's not playing, quote unquote, at his best within a situation. I I love Kobe Jones, man. Like, give me him on the And And again, Nathan, with who I have on my team, like, is there a better complimentary player who can contribute on both ends of the floor that, you know, when he's taken the court that he's going to be ready to go?
1: No, no. In, in, in terms of where you could go right now in this draft, guys who are a little bit further down the first round of your board, but mm-hmm. who can still give you value as far as when it comes to winning. There's like one other player I'm looking at right now who would be a, a great fit to that as far as a veteran piece mm-hmm. in this draft class. But yeah, Colby Kobe, Kobe was a great get. So I have to make this pick count. So I have drafted two guys who can certainly give me enough offense on the wing. I have my interior presence. So I got to go get some guards. So okay. I'm going to not waste any time and get my player who can stir the drink for me in Jalen Huchfino. I I. Oh. I... I, I, I love, love what Jalen Chofino oh, has been showing for Indiana, especially over the last month and a half ever really ever since he came back from that back injury. He has been much improved as a, a primary ball handler, right? He's yes. been allowed to lead that offense more and more and pick and roll. And then mm-hmm. we've seen what he can be as a shot creator himself, his pull-up jump shooting, Stephen, when he has it going, like in, in, in that 24 point outing and that outing that he just had against Purdue, when he has it going, he is a scary, scary player to go up against. And then you factor in what he can be when he's locked in defensively at 6'6". Going back to more of that tape that we saw in high school when he was a hellish defender, when Maxwell called that out on mm-hmm. this podcast feed with us on Draft Deeper, he talked about how impressed he was with Jalen Huchifino's defense. And I think as he continues to get comfortable, I think he's he's growing as a yep. defender at the college level, he will certainly improve in that aspect in the NBA. But even in a one-game win-it-all situation, I think he's going to be just fine defending at the point of attack or alongside another point of attack defender that might be that might be alluding to where I could go with another okay. pick. But either way, I trust him to quote-unquote captain my offense as the lead ball handler. Give me Jalen hood shafino with my fourth pick. What do you think about the pick?
0: I love it, man, and I think that his his just shooting, the the shooting potential that he has as well is just. I've seen several games of him where he gets it going, man, and he gets and he gets that confidence going on the jumper. It's going to be a scary proposition whenever you couple his pick and roll playmaking with that pull up jump shot or catch and shoot jump shot, along with the defensive upside that he has. There's very little of the game of basketball that he's not capable of doing. At that one spot, so I love, I love that you went with Bryce and then Jalen, kind of like some inner city rivalry going on there between the <laughs> two of them, and just like how different positionally they are. You might have the most fun looking team that I've ever seen on paper. I love it.
1: <laughs> I, I have a feeling I know where you're going with your fifth pick, and it's going to potentially crush my soul. But just, well, just, I, just make the pick.
0: Tell me who you think I'm gonna take.
1: No, no, no. You got to make the pick. And I'll, I'll right. tell I'll, you if it's I'll where make the I pick make and going.
0: then you tell me. Cuz I don't know if you're going to I don't know if you're going to get it right. I'm going to take Taylor Hendricks out of Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, that's
1: exactly – Yep. I knew you were going to go okay. with Taylor Hendricks. That's, that's right. where I would have liked to go ideally next right to add something at the fourth spot along with Victor, but I'm I'm hoping that Victor can take away enough of my concerns at the rim to where I can play small at that other forward yeah. position and have Brandon Miller slide up. And then have Bryce about be my three. So, but but your your lineup construction, it makes a lot of sense for you to go with Taylor Hendricks. So why are you doing so?
0: Yeah, because I mean, he's. If you look at everybody else, I could have gone with. I highly entertain Chris Murray. Like you guys know how yep. much I love him, but I think Taylor, the uh, weak side rim protection that he offers with the floor spacing, the upside to get even better. He has like he even has the potential to be a a switch big, right? So he can go from drop. He can go to switching, I would say, on certain lineups or certain switch actions that you trust him out there on. And he is just taking tremendous growth in-season, Nathan. I'm a big fan of in-season improvements. That's why I'm so affectionate towards Brandon Miller for the reasons that we talked about earlier. We've seen that from Taylor Hendricks, like in big matchups. Even the games that we've seen against Houston, he he showed up and delivered. And we, as a No This Collective, said this is going to be like the – the, the fire that we're going to test the metal with, right? Like if he comes out of the, this unscathed, he's a real prospect. And guess what? He did. And he lined up against the Jairus Walker and, and held his own, right? So the slight frame hasn't seemed to bother him. He will get stronger. He will get better. And that's only going to solidify the weaknesses as opposed to give him new strengths, right? So the strengths that he has as a floor spacer, as a rim protector, highly valuable when you look at the construction of my team. I think it helps jet out a lot that on the backside of him that he has Jarris and Taylor mm-hmm. and offensively Jarris and Taylor can spread the floor and now what is Wimby gonna do which one of those two is he gonna guard defensively if we play a five out style offense it, it's I, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough look to stop
1: no that's and and that was the right pick again I, I knew it was coming for exactly that final reason that you're said. If you're playing my team, which is the whole point of this, where we are building a team to play each other tomorrow on an NBA floor with how these guys are now as prospects, you're trying to pull Victor Wembanyama outside the paint. You don't want him just being able to sit back in that deep drop and just swat everything that comes his way. You want to pull him out. You need floor spacers at those positions to do that. So in the tandem of Jarrus Walker and Taylor Hendricks, you're accomplishing that while also. Having two guys defensively who can both rotate over, cover for each other's mistakes, offer some weak side rim protection, and both of them, I think, are strong enough to be able to body up their opposing man and at least make it a little more difficult if they're in a one-on-one spot defensively. I guess my only concern with going with that specific tandem Taylor Hendricks' rebounding percentage as a prospect, it's not what you want to see ideally from somebody who, if you're expecting him to step up and play more responsibilities or at sometimes masquerade as a five-man, he's not where you want to be yet. Now, past this particular exercise, if we're talking about projecting out his NBA future, he has the frame to be able to pack on plenty of muscle. I think he's going to get stronger to where that defensive rebounding percentage in particular comes up a bunch, right? I I don't really expect him to be a a significant factor on the offensive class because primarily he's a spot-up guy. He's a floor spacer. spacer, He's a play finisher in that aspect. But from from a defensive rebounding standpoint, from him being able to do more around the basket on that end, I feel very confident in projecting him forward in that regard. So interesting way in which you're going about building your team. So my final guy, and again, th- th- this is what makes this tough, right? Because it, mm-hmm. to your point, I- I- I've picked a- an exciting team on paper just, yeah. just to just to watch, right? Just to watch my squad play basketball. But in theory, I'm doing a little bit of projection myself What if I'm asking Jalen Puchifino to be my primary point of attack defender. I'm doing a little bit of projection when asking Bryce Sensibon and Brandon Miller to be better on defense than they've been up to this point in college basketball, I'm putting a lot of responsibility on Victor's shoulders on that side of the ball. I have enough offense everywhere, right? Like Victor, women, can yeah. be a number one option of self. Bryce Sensabaugh has been a go-to score as a freshman, Brandon Miller, him and hit Bryson and, and Brandon are leading the country in scoring for freshmen. Right. So yeah. I got no problems with being able to put the ball in the basket, but I need one last guy who can put the clamps on. I'm torn between two prospects, but I think I'm going to go with case Wallace over and repair. I, it was um, between yep. Kaysen and Repair, and I think I would go with Kaysen Wallace because I want that other guy who can help initiate offense, right? That, that secondary or tertiary creator within the offense, I can get Kaysen Wallace the ball in different actions, and I'm confident with what's going to happen to it, right? Even though I'm not counting on him for for offense when I have those other weapons in my arsenal— Kaysen's also one of the most skilled guards that we have in this draft class. And even though I'm not always jumping at the bit to rank him too high on my personal draft board or I'm not shouting to take him inside the top 10 on a mock draft exercise, he is somebody who, if we're building out a team, he's just going to help win games, period. And I think that's really why people are valuing him in the NBA draft space and why they are leaving him ranked inside of a top 10 or they are leaving him ranked inside of the lottery, because despite the low lows that we've seen from him, the times where he he drifts offensively and he's not able to contribute to the level that I would expect him to, given his skills package, the floor with the things that just he can do, right? The examples that we've seen on film, the things that he can do, it's too enticing for me to pass on at this point where we are in the exercise. So my backcourt, I got Jalen Hood, Shafino, Cason Wallace, I have Bryce Sensabon, Brandon Miller at the wing slash forward positions. Then I have Victor wim and Yama manning it down in the paint. So what what do you think about the five that I've put together here? Are, are are you a little frightened with with going up against my squad?
0: I mean, there's a lot of nuclear scoring to keep up with, man. And <laughs> I, I think that Brandon Miller, um, defensively, I think that he helps you out a lot. Like he and Wimby as a defensive front court, there's a lot of, there's a lot of scare factor there. That's a lot of length to have to deal with. Bryce is just a wrecking ball offensively, yes, right? He so is. If, I, if I'm looking at my lineup, I feel like between Hendricks and Jar- and Jarius, like that's enough to to negate Wimby. But then I have Colby Jones probably on either Brandon Miller or Bryce Insaball. Who do I have? Who do I have Jet on? You know, like that's gonna be tough. I think between Jet and <laughs> Jet and Bryce are they're going to do what they did in their last matchup here recently and just go at each other and 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 try to outscore one another. That was such a fun game watching those two play against each other. The defensive playmaking of Case and Wallace is just it's spectacular. The way like, he
1: steals, the way the way he just goes up for blocks wherever he is, it's fast. I know that
0: he gets he gets the Drew Holiday comparisons. I've seen the Marcus Smart like he is special like it's not just he's a good defender. He's a defensive playmaker. Like that is scary. It's emphatic. Like he made it's a blueprint. And it's it's something that if you're looking at names on paper and you're lining them across from one another, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, well, Kaysen probably isn't as good as this guy. But if you watch what he does on the defensive end, man, like he's just a special, special talent. So I think the combination that you have of, you know, just nuclear scoring, tremendous length, and you know, your back, your backcourt too, I think could be scary defensively in the long term as well, man. Like that's a fun team.
1: And to your team's credit, again, you have the ultimate straw that stirs the drink in this 2023 NBA draft class. You have a guy who may very well have the highest upside of anyone who's not named Victor or Scoot in Jarrus Walker. You have Jed Howard who can create offense for himself and for others and is a flamethrower of a shooter. And then you have two guys who just want to go to war in Colby Jones Mm -hmm. and Taylor Hendricks rounding out your starting five. So you, you have a team that not only can really mesh well together on paper just by fit and by strengths and weaknesses that they bring to the table, but you have room with your selection for a sixth man to really round out and just be able to pick my team apart in a number of ways depending on what i'm doing i feel like you do in fairness have an answer to whatever i'm trying to draw up for for my team or whatever they're trying to do
0: i think that at this point right like we did a great job of picking fit right when we're constructing a, a starting five like who can play well off of each other and we scaled down our boards but when you're looking at a six man Throw all that crap out the window. And then I'm looking <laughs> at my I'm looking at my board. I know where you're going. And I, I see my fourth ranked prospect just waiting there right for the picking in Keontae George.
1: Yep. I, I knew I, that's where you were going. Come
0: in and off the bench. Yes, he's an undersized guard, but whatever. It's a six man. Um, he can if like if I need to spell out Scoot, he can come in and facilitate. That's the one thing that has stood out to me this season. For Keontae George is the playmaking because when you watch the film, you know that the scoring is there. You saw the defensive upside as well; like those things have bore out. But the playmaking in particular has been what got me to believe in him as a top seven prospect. And then we started seeing the scoring and the shooting come around, and it's like, yeah, this this brother can cook. So I'm gonna go ahead. I, I, having my fourth rank prospect taken as my sixth man seems unfair. But I got to do it, man. I got to go with Keontae.
1: I knew that's where you were going. I'm torn. I'm torn between two guys. Okay. One of the guys I'm torn between, I wouldn't have even thought about him for this exercise a week ago. Okay. But then we saw him this past weekend against North Carolina have one of the most absurd stat lines Oh, for a prospect, the guy in, in in Derek Lively, who if I chose Derek Lively, I could bring him off the bench to spell Victor Webinyama, right? Yeah. In case Victor got in foul trouble, I'd have another guy who could step in as a big man protect the rim, but he's also athletic enough to where if he's fully engaged and he's locked in, he he may not have the awareness to handle more of a position defensively on the perimeter. But if he gets switched on to someone, he at least has the athletic tools and and the feet and the speed to be able to keep up with anyone you're really throwing at him. So that's an enticing option. Then the other is to just go get one of the best shooters in the draft, in in Grady Dick, and just have another sniper to be able to come off my bench and just keep buying in. All offense. I think that's the direction I'm going to go. I think I'm still going to bring in Grady Dick and have him as my sixth man so that at any time I have one of the best trios of wings I think I could have drafted in this exercise. Yeah. And Brandon Miller, Bryce Sensibach, Grady Dick. I have guard play that I trust in Jalen Hood, and Casey Wallace. And then I have the generational prospect, one of possibly two that we have in this class. Victor Wembenyama to captain my team. So I will run through the squads one more time. So my team, Victor Yama Brandon Miller, Bryce Sensabaugh, Jalen Hood-Shifino, Wallace, Grady Dick as a sixth man. Steven has Scoot Henderson, Jairus Walker, Jet Howard, Colby Jones, Taylor Hendricks, and Keontae George. We will be sure to have yeah. these teams up on social media. Everybody can vote. Who do they think would win between my team and Steven's team? I, it's a toss-up. It it really is like I could see this game legitimately coming down to like the last two minutes, who's able to execute well enough in the last two minutes. I, I I don't think it would be a blowout either way. I think this would be a close game to the end.
0: So what's crazy, Nathan, is if you look at what I think gives you like the potential to beat my team is that you went like full blown like let me get some nuclear scoring in here between Bryce and Brandon and Wimby. And then you got scoring potential with you know Jalen Hushafino and Grady Dick, and then you got just like a defensive menace, like legitimately one of the best, if not the best, defensive playmakers that I've seen in a long time. And then
1: I I'm went counting with on those guys to do a lot of that themselves, yeah. though, right? So that I They're don't off, have that like same isolation level of point style. Guard. No? right? I don't have that same point guard that you have. And you, with your team with Scoot Henderson, you've crafted your lineup to be to be able to rely on a legitimate table setter to where. Your guys don't have to do everything themselves, right? They can be guy they, they, they you have guys who can make plays for others and Jed mm-hmm. Howard and Colby Jones, but they don't have to have that much pressure on them to set yep. the table for everyone else. They can have the table set for them where you can have your guys actually complement one another as play finishers, not just isolation bucket getters, kind of like how I've set up a lot of my team.
0: And then we gotta worry about like the 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 blue alien from Space Jam in the middle, like <laughs> We we have like good defenders, but we don't have like a we don't have someone who's even not that anyone could be his size. I guess Zach Eady would have been the, the one player that I could get. That is like we could have.
1: To, listen, you could have taken Zach Eady in this exercise, right? Yeah. Like he may not be the sexiest draft prospect out there, but I do think he's a top sixty guy. And when we're talking about putting a team together for one game,
0: yeah, why not? Especially take the bruising,
1: against Vic. why not take the bruising big man who can drop thirty six and eighteen at, at at any given moment.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you got a definite height advantage in the middle of the lane. And then like I said, the the take you off the dribble scoring, yeah, that all star level offense that you're looking at as opposed to like a traditional NBA ran offense where you have someone who facilitates and sets the table for others. Like that's two completely different styles. I would love to watch this, by the way. Like that's (laughs) that's a that's a fun matchup. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you were watching what we wish the NBA
1: draft combine could be
0: right and then like if you're looking at this matchup like what is scouting a team compiled of these names look like are you just like i'm not taking notes like whatever i just (laughs) want to have fun you know but if you are note taking like how many times are you pausing the tape
1: oh man oh man yeah this would this would be one hell of a scouting exercise so before we we cut the (laughs) podcast and and we do our sign offs and part ways there are some top prospects who did not get taken by us. I'm talking yeah. both Thompson twins. I'm talking Gigi Jackson. I Cam mentioned Whitmore. really any of the other Cam Whitmore, any of the other bigs, right? Kelloware, Derek Lively, Daron Holmes. None of those guys. Nick Smith. Nick Smith. None of those guys Anthony ended up Black. being taken yeah. in our exercise. What? Why? Why do you think we didn't really look, or, or why didn't you look the direction of some of those other names when you're trying to? build out a team where you're confident where these prospects are at now, this group of guys is going to give you the best chance to win.
0: Well, I think, you know, when I took Jairus second, um, that really negated the need to go for the Cam
1: Whitmore route.
0: Like I I don't think that those two on a court together, there's too much duplicity, right? And not even in a good way. Like they're both going to try to occupy the same spaces on the floor. And I just like Jairus a lot more at this point of the season, which is painful to say because I had Cam Whitmore, at three coming into the season, um, the Thompson Twins, I have them at seven and eight. Respect, um, Amin and Asar at seven and eight right now. I just, I know it's taboo for a lot of people just to say because of the hype train coming into the season that you, I could even consider sliding them down more. I'm just watching, and I'm looking at the finishing numbers. I'm looking at the shooting numbers. Uh, as great as they are defensively, like how can you adequately assess their defense? compared to who they're playing right now.
1: A- a- adequately a scary assessed.
0: proposition.
1: I think that's the thing, right? Like th- there are a lot of evaluators out there who if they were in our position doing a draft like this, they could take one of a sore or a, sore or a men Thompson, right? They-, they could do that. Are they as confident in drafting those guys for this one game as we are with the players that we selected? I, I think e- even if they wanted to take them because they were high enough, high enough up on a big board, they could make that selection. Are they feeling as confident about it? I think if they were being truthful and going through the lie detector test, they'd probably have to say no. They're, they're not as confident as taking a Brandon Miller or a Bryce Sensabaugh. Or I entertained layout, a SAR.
0: I entertained a SAR at the Kobe at the Colby Jones selection. I was thinking like, well, I need a wing defender. And I entertained
1: like, them when I I yeah. was gonna take if it wasn't gonna take Bryce Sensabaugh, I would have taken a, a SAR as well. So really, it's yeah. like why why aren't we trusting a man? To be one of our picks, right? Is it more I about have, the, the role he projected scoot. to play?
0: <laughs> I have scoot. I don't need him, man. I, yeah. Like, so
1: if so, if 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 you're not drafting him to groom him into a primary ball handler, right? His projection gets a little bit murkier because of some of the statistical inefficiencies that you've laid out in your right. argument, right? We we can't always trust the the at rim finishing and the two point finishing, even though he's gotten better. He is everything but a floor spacer, right? Shooting like 14, 15% from three-point range, not putting it down from the free throw line. We, we, we can't trust the shooting sample that we've had these two years at Overtime Elite. So when you have to slot him in with some of these other players, his projection gets a little murkier. Now, for all the reasons you said with, with the Thompson Twins, you can apply that same logic to Gigi Jackson, to any of the, the freshman big men that we laid out not being taken Anthony Black's been very up and down this year, yeah. right? Like I, for as much as I would love to have somebody like Anthony Black on my team, maybe even as like a sixth man, I thought about it. I just don't know what I'm going to get from him, right? On a night to night basis. I want to have somebody I can sub in who I'm much more confident if he has the right pieces around him in a Grady Dick, I feel good about what I'm going to get from him in his role. And again, he, he's been a player who's been up and down a little bit in Kansas too, but yeah the talent that he would have around him. I think this would just be a, a good fit for me being able to count on his off ball scoring, his shooting ability, his floor spacing. And then he's, he's tough too at six, eight, he's been much stronger and much tougher yeah, we better than, than I then. expected him to be. Absolutely.
0: So, and, and then like, just real quick on the, the Anthony black thing, you know, no ceilings. We, we do a lot of social media posts. And one of them was like a pick'em between case Wallace and Anthony black. And I went with case and then someone asked me, "Is like, well, why wouldn't you go with the one that can run an offense?" And and you know that's a tip of the hat to Anthony Black, who who is a facilitator on his team at Arkansas, right? And Kentucky doesn't run an offense through Caseon Wallace on the ball. And I and I said, okay, well I'll give you that Anthony Black is the the better playmaker, but when they're going to the next level, who is the better? player away from the ball because that's what their role is going to be i don't think anybody's drafting anthony black this year and saying hey go, go run an offense and the same will be said for casein and then you say okay well who could contribute better the way from the ball well Kaysen is a better shooter yeah he's a he- is-, is talented and as promising as anthony black can be on the defensive end and he's got the size so obviously a lot of people are going to say because he's taller he can defend more positions beg to differ man like Kaysen wallace is a special level defender so between those two, I'm glad that you did go with the Case in Wallace route because looking at who you have on your team, he, he can spot up away from all these guys and cover the best offensive player on my team, hands down.
1: And the last thing I'll say about, again, not choosing either of the Thompson twins or Cam Whitmore or Anthony Black or Gigi Jackson. I mean, if we're doing an exercise where we're just running down our big boards one through 10 and we're driving back and forth. No. Nick Smith, these are guys who are going to be selected in that exercise, right? This yeah. is this is not supposed to be a representation of putting out all these negatives as to these other prospects. Why didn't they get this shine in, in our draft tonight? This is, I think, is more so a reflection of the strengths that some of these other prospects have and reasons why they should be propped up Absolutely. in the 2023 draft discussion. It's to build others up, not necessarily tear... Anyone down because a Asar, uh, Asar Thompson, Men Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Nick Smith—like these are all guys who I'm probably going to have in, in my top ten yeah, when G-G. it's all said and done.
0: All have tremendous, all have tremendous upsides.
1: And 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 when we talk about drafting in June, we are drafting projecting forward. It's not just who is the best player right now; it's who's more likely to be the best player in five years. So it's a yeah. little bit different. than than what we did tonight on this podcast. But I still think that what we did was really fun and hopefully it brought some good talking points to the table as far as if a team drafts this player, what might their best role be? How might they best be suited to fit in an NBA offense? What positions might they be able to guard or play against on an NBA defense? How do these guys fit and how can they fit within a team construct? Hopefully we sparked more of those conversations with this podcast, but that's going to do it, Stephen. I, I think we did a great mm. job with this. This was a lot of fun to do. So yeah, thank you for hopping on this podcast and and, and shooting the shit and, and really planning <laughs> out this idea and an next More barbershop
0: style podcast right here. I love we, it.
1: We missed Maxwell Baumbach. Maxwell wasn't with us to, tonight. He had some other things going on, but yep. the three of us will be back He's well. on this stage yep. sooner rather than later. So that's really all that matters. So, Stephen. You have a piece that that came out, and I think another piece that's going to be out by the time everyone's listening to this podcast. So go ahead, plug yourself, and and plug what you've been up to in NoSillingsNBA.com.
0: Well, yeah, man. Thanks, Nathan, for the the opportunity to do this. Um, I just want to lead up with last Monday, I released my Trace Jackson Davis uh, Pro Outlook and reasons why, to me, he's a surefire first-round pick in in this year's draft. Um, Just an incredible... uh, fun dive that I took into his film. It's going to be hard to knock him out. Um, The the most recent uh, article that everyone's going to be reading by the time that this podcast is out is going to be featuring Furman's Jalen Slauson. And I kind of dive in deep a little bit on why this part of the season, a lot of people are looking at like, well, hey, how come no one's talking about this guy, this guy, this guy? Well, Jalen Slauson was that guy coming into like preseason season. And, and he hasn't really been talked about a lot. I, shout out to the couple guys that I've seen on Twitter who have reliably, reliably still been putting his name out. I'm excited to kind of help reinforce every, all the film that you guys have been dropping on Twitter because he hands down is a real player to look out for this year. And then I also did a fun concept uh, called the lock draft, which uh, was released kind of midway through the week covering for Albert and that was just a fun exercise, man, where I was able to take the positions that were drafted in order in last year's draft, right? So went Paolo and then Chet and then Jabari, you know, going forward, center forward. I basically said, that's the order that I have to draft in this year's class. So when Paolo was taken, I took my guy, Jarris Walker, because they played the similar position. When Chet was taken second overall, I took Victor Wimbenyama, when Jay Nivey was taken fifth overall, that's ultimately where Scoop fell. So it's just kind of a fun exercise to spark more conversation and then acknowledge just the difference positionally um, that draft classes go through year by year. And where the big man class was so deep last season, this year looks a little bit weaker, but we have a heck of a lot more guards and wings um, compared to last season. So that was just a fun exercise.
1: No, I, I appreciated reading what you put out, Stephen. Certainly you 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 helped step in for, for the No Sillings NBA team. You came up with a creative concept on the fly. So kudos to you, my friend. If anyone has not read Stephen's work at com, please subscribe to the Substack. Go ahead and do so. You will not be disappointed with any written content you find on the Substack, as well as make sure you're subscribed to this very podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening to Draft Deeper on the no ceilings nba podcast feed subscribe rate review we appreciate your feedback we want your five star ratings all of that stuff make, make us feel good make us feel warm and, and lovey-dovey mm. inside with, with all of your fun feedback don't give us any one star ratings just just all, all five stars right steven all five
0: can't stars. say nothing nice don't say nothing at all <laughs> like just we'll take it back to kindergarten if you can't say nothing nice just don't say anything but we that's want that's- your love
1: that's absolutely right, and and again, you can find Stephen on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. You can find me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. I promise I'll be coming back to the writing space soon enough. I have a few pieces already coming in the works, and then by the time I get those out, we will be, it'll, it'll be conference tournament time. It'll yeah. be NCAA tournament time. I'll have plenty of coverage in the morning. Dunk on all of the postseason fun coming your way when it comes to college basketball.
0: And Maxwell um, has. Something incredible in the world. Maxwell's
1: got a heater lined up. Yes, he is Yeah,
0: so follow him on Twitter at Boundboards, B-A-U-M-B-O-A-R-D-S. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Follow him on Twitter. We're
1: scouts. We're not spellers.
0: Yes, yeah. Damn it, I'm a podcaster, not a doctor. (laughs) Um, But follow him on Twitter, following No Ceilings NBA on Twitter as well for when that article, that piece releases, because he's got a heater coming and y'all aren't ready but you can get ready by subscribing and following.
1: No ceilings is always working. And by the time this podcast comes out next week, I think that's going to be even more evident, even more true. Trust me when I say So thank you all for listening. Until we meet again on this feed, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay tuned.